to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to read the 12, cha- 12 verses of chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read all 12 verses of chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul, Silvanus, or Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because of your faith. It grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer." Since it is righteous, uh, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, it's a very long sentence, uh, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and in in you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we have here your word so plain, so evident of encouragement, of warning, of exhortation. We pray, Lord, that you would teach and grow us this day. Me, Lord, I pray that you take me out of the way, that you would be seen. Lord, we are not here for a speaker. We're not here for an instrument or for a time of even fellowship. Lord, we're here for you. All of those other things are good. They're neat. But Lord, we are here for you. We're here to sit at your feet. We're here to learn from you. We are here to come before you and ask and seek your face and honestly come before you and say, Lord, if there is something that is not right with me, if there is something out of line in my life with you, God, change me, please. I pray that we can all say that, Lord, regardless of our preconceived understandings, even as we walk into this place, 
and in the modern days in which we live. May we honestly open up your word as if it was the first time and read it and see it for what it is, truth being poured out into into empty vessels that need to be filled with you and not this world. I pray, God, that this time that we spend here together today would be one where you mold us and shape us. That if what we hear today, what we see today, what we read today is not something that at this moment we embrace, that Lord, we would change. We would confess. We would repent. And we would line up our views with your views. We would line up our understanding with the understanding of your word. We understand, Lord, that we're living in perilous times. I pray, God, that you would use this time to teach us and to grow us, to show us, Lord, how we are to live in these days, this season in which we live. So, Lord, I lift that to you now. Pray, God, that you just bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, I talked about Paul um, writing this second letter to the Thessalonians. It was a, a letter that was done a couple of months later after his first letter had gone there. And we had, uh, quite possibly, Timothy, somebody that had, had come back and, and shared with Paul what uh, was going on in, uh, amongst the Thessalonians and amongst the Laodiceans after Paul's first letter that he had written to them and how they had received it and how it was going and how the church, the temperature of the church, kind of what was happening and uh, how they had received the letter and how they had been growing and, and they had been growing and they had endured persecution. Paul is, it's evident here in this first chapter that Paul says that you are enduring and I'm, I'm bragging on you guys because of how you are living your life. And you're being persecuted and you have, you, you are living through much tribulation even in the midst of it. And I'm bragging on you guys because you guys have remained faithful. However, as we talked last uh, week, there are three different reasons for Paul to write this letter to them. And, and the first was, and I'm going to read these very quickly, things that we had talked about last week, to encourage them through the persecution that they're enduring because they are Christians just simply trying to live for God. It's something that we can identify with, right? I mean, we're just trying to be Christians today, living for God. This is what Paul's trying to do for them. He's trying to encourage them in the midst of this. Among a people who were threatened by Christianity. And because they were threatened by Christianity, they were rising up against the church to squash it for becoming accepted in their region. And we see that today in today's day and age where the world is rising up against Christianity and they will come out immediately against it and and 180 degrees against it. They will combat Christianity, but it's not just the combatants. What happens is that if you can't beat them, what do we know of that phrase? If you can't beat them, 
join them. So what ends up happening is that the, the world begins to join the church and they begin to incorporate societal or humanistic mindset or hedonistic you know, uh, phil- philosophical views that begin to appeal to the flesh and they begin to justify it according to the way that they see Scripture. The way that they try to mold and, and, and move and manipulate Scripture. And oftentimes they'll say, well, it's a culturally accepted ideal. It's a culturally accepted philosophical, you know, postulate that we grab a hold of and we we embrace in our church and so if two or three are gathered and we agree on anything jesus said that then then it will be done and so therefore we agree that this is what can happen in a church when it's diametrically opposed to what scripture says and that has crept into the church radically has it crept into the church it's radically crept into major denominations it's radically crept into uh, uh, the church as a whole in this world you know there's a a uh, a huge denomination that is split they've split because a half of the church believes that that homosexuals should be not only accepted but become pastors and and it's in that that I know that even me saying that, some of us in this room went, oh, wait a minute, be careful, be careful what you say, because we're li- we we want to be tolerant as Christians. Wait a minute, we're gonna we're gonna look at a few things here today, and we're gonna see that these are the things that Paul addressed. I shared and I ended last week with Paul talking about in Romans chapter one. I told you to go home and read it. I don't know if you did or not, but Romans chapter 1, you know, Paul talking, here's what he says. Now, mind you, this is in a society that was very pro-homosexuality. This was in a society that was pro-flesh, pro-indulgence. It was indulgent in feasting and satisfying the flesh. And yet Paul, this is what Paul had to to deal with. We sometimes go, well, Paul didn't have to deal with the things that we did. No, Paul had to deal with things that were even worse at times. Even worse. And and the thing is, is that this is this is what Paul addressed this letter as he addressed this letter to the Romans. He said, hey, guys, this is this is what's going on. There are people the wrath of God is is being revealed from heaven. We're going to look at a few of these things today. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is it's made known to them. It's manifest in them. For God has even shown it to them. For since even the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood in the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, as I'm reading this, I want you to listen to what it is that I'm saying. And imagine yourself right now hearing Pastor Paul, not Don, Pastor Paul, standing in in front of a large congregation or a large conference or or in a 
civic center speaking these words, how well will he be received? How well will he be received when he's talking, even just here in Sarasota? He says they're, they're without excuse because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore, God's given them up. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. If you don't understand what that just meant, he'll explain it here in verse 27. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Is this a loving message? Is this a loving message? Is this God? God would never say such things to hurt people's feelings. That's what's being poured into us in our society and now in our churches in our churches this is a loving message this is a loving message this is a heartfelt plea that people would open their eyes and they would yearn for the truth of the word of God and not the truth of the world because the world is always going to lead you astray The world will always have you seeking out after your own flesh. The world will never point you to the Lord. And Paul's trying to point the Romans back to the Lord. Can you imagine Paul saying these things in Sarasota? How many people would come down on him? How many people would be picketing outside? How many people would be threatening him. And even as he said, listen, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy and murder and strife and deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers and backbiters and haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. He even gets to the kids, doesn't he? Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only who do the things, but also approve of those who practice them. 
Now, lest you go, well, I, I don't fall in that category, but I'm very accepting of those who do. Because God is love, and it's, it's, God is okay with that. No, God's never okay with sin. God's not okay with sin. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to, I'm not just coming down on homosexual. I'm talking about sin. Any sin. Any sin. Any sin that you struggle with, don't think that you have found the loophole that God is okay with your sin because He's a God of love. Don't ever, ever allow that humanistic mindset that, that the world wants you to embrace, that even the church is beginning to have you embrace. Not this church, hopefully. I pray, I pray it never does. That we need to include. And, and, and the thing is, the world will try and even the church will try to, to switch it around and, and, and come back down on a message like this and say, you're not being loving. You're not being unforgiving. Or you're being unforgiving. You're not being forgiving. You're not being merciful. You're calling this stuff out and it's horrible. How would you do such a thing? We're a church that is open to all things. Listen, I'll never deny somebody coming in here because this is the place where sinners meet. I'm a sinner. But it doesn't mean that I come into church and and I stay in sin. If I'm in sin, I need to be out of sin. That's it. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. If the Bible calls something sin and I'm practicing, here's what it says. Paul says... Knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. And so we might even, even a little bit high on our hog might say, yeah, well, I don't do those things. I'm not numbered amongst any of these things that are being said here, which by the way, I would say, no, you, you probably are. There are things that you need to work on. There are things that you need to confess, things that you need to draw and, and, and lay before the Lord and surrender before the Lord. But let's just say you've done that. But you embrace and, and you, you, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right to have that kind of a life. It's okay to, to live in that kind of a sin. It's okay to be a, be, be a part of that group. It's, it's okay to do that because God loves you. That's true. God does love you. But God loves you enough to not allow you to, to continue to go down a road that is living diametrically opposed to him. And so the the point is, is that Paul says, it's not just those who practice these things, but it's also those who approve of things like this. So a pastor might go, hey, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a homosexual. Or let's move it in a different direction. I'm not one who who sleeps with somebody who's not my spouse. But I embrace those who do. And I understand. And God understands. And you'll find that you're welcome here. There's a fine line there. You are welcome. People are welcome to be in here. 
But I pray that this pulpit is never one that pacifies sin and sits here and and softens sin and doesn't encourage you, doesn't warn you, doesn't exhort the hearers that are in front of this pulpit to change. Because sin is not okay. Sin is not okay. It's a very popular church out there that we sing a lot of their songs that have gay worship leaders. They've embraced it because we are inclusive. And I think, wow, where are we going? What is happening to the church? Well, Paul says, listen, these are the things that are hap- these these are the things that were happening in the Roman church and Paul called them out is he loving i think so i think he's loving because if he warns people to get away from sin if he warns people to confess it and move beyond sin isn't that loving because what it's doing is it's causing you to draw close to the lord It's drawing you into a relationship with God to seek His face, to seek His ways, to seek His will for your life. And I will tell you that God's will for your life will never include, well, I was born this way. No, you weren't. I mean, well, I agree with that, actually. Yes, you were born that way. We were all born in sin. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to stay there. God wants us to become the man or the woman that that he designs us to be. Paul went on so much that he said, listen, not only those who practice such things are worthy of death, but even those who approve of them. And then he goes on, and verse 1 should be in, in chapter 1. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge, For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And so is Paul saying, a pastor shouldn't warn about these things because he is doing the same things? No, that's not at all what Paul is saying. Am I to judge? No, I'm not to judge. But I, you, we are to be heralds and say, sin is not okay. My sin is not okay. Have I overcome all sin in my life? I will be the first one to say, absolutely not. Am I comfortable in sin? I will say this, absolutely not. I don't want to be a sinner, but I am. That doesn't make it okay for me to continue to be in sin. It doesn't make it okay for me to continue to practice sin. I get frustrated at some of the stupid things that I do at times. But what I do is I run to the Lord and I go, God, I am so sorry. God, change me. And there are some sins that I used to be embroiled in, some sins that I used to be entrenched in that God has delivered me from. And I don't struggle necessarily with those that I used to. I don't struggle with them anymore. But there are others that come up. And the the cold hard fact of the matter is is that you're going to struggle with sin until the Lord takes you home or he comes back. 
And that's the joy of when we go to heaven, man, we're never going to have to struggle with sin ever again. But please hear me say, sin is never okay. Just because you're a sinner and you're in here doesn't mean that your sin is okay. It just... There's a lot of people that go to don't go to church because they say churches are filled with sinners. Yes, but what? Hypocrites. A bunch of hypocrites. They go to church and they are hypocrites. I see what they do. I hear how they talk. I hear... And you know what? To our shame, yeah, that's that's it. However, this is exactly where we should be as sinners. To come in and be warned and say, guys, don't don't get comfortable in that sin. Don't be comfortable in that sin. Run away. Flee. Flee those things. And when you do, know this. You're going to come under persecution from the world because the world's going to go, oh, you're one of those types of Christians. You're not one of those tolerant Christians. I don't want to have anything to do with you because God loves us all. That's true. God loves us all. But God doesn't want us to stay in our sin. God made a way of escape. God, God, God wants to change us. He wants to mold us and shape us into the man or the woman that, that he designed us to be in order to, to go into the world and preach the gospel, which is the good news, which means that the sin that you're in, Jesus Christ died for it. Not so that you can stay in it, but so that you can be forgiven of it and you can change And you can become more and more and more like Him on a day-by-day basis. You grow in Him. And you rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you. Know this, the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you into sin. And be sure of this, the, the Holy Spirit is never going to confirm that your sin is okay. Not what the Bible, when the Bible specifically denies or or contradicts what your lifestyle is if your life is con- if this area that I just read this is small area and there are many other areas that I can read I just don't have time today the point is if your life in is in here and you see that any part of this is in your life know this Paul is saying it's not okay but deal with it take it to the Lord Paul will, the book of Romans is a great book. Our higher institutions that now reject God, that were founded on God, like Harvard, they used to use the book of Romans to teach attorneys, lawyers, how to argue a case. Because Paul lays out the case of Listen, this is sin. This is not okay with God. And then Paul moves into, I would not even have known sin unless the Bible would have said you shouldn't lust, covet. That's what covet means. Means to long for something that's not yours. Paul says, I would not have known what sin was unless the law would have said, thou shalt not covet. When the law when the law came alive, I died, man. And then he runs into chapter seven. He 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 says, you know, I am so frustrated with my life. Maybe you can identify with it. I know I can identify with this, Paul. 
Paul gets to a point in his life, he goes, oh man, I'm trying to live this Christian life. And sin keeps rearing up its ugly head in my life. The things that I will to do, (laughs) I don't do them. And the things that I will not to do, those are the very things I do. The things that I I didn't wake up in the... I woke up in the morning saying, I'm not going to do this. That's the thing that I do. And it frustrates me to no end because the thing that I woke up and said, I will do this today, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Paul gets to a point where he's just crying out. He goes, oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. How can I, how can I release myself from my old life? How can I release myself from my passions and my lusts and my desires that are contrary to God? Oh, God, help me. That's where he comes. He comes to a place. Paul identifies. Hey, man, he writes these words. You think that Paul had it all figured out? You think that Paul had it all all conquered? You think that sin was no longer an active part in Paul's life? You're wrong. He still dealt with it. He still struggled with sin. That's what Romans 7 is all about. So how can Paul write chapter 1? You hypocrite Paul. It's because it's not okay to stay in sin. It's okay to point out sin. It's okay to say, hey man, this is sin before God. Don't be okay with it. Paul said, man, I still struggle with a lot of that stuff. But I want to be delivered. I don't want to do that stuff. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, that nothing good dwells. There's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. This is a man who acknowledges, and by the way, can I just tell you this? There's not a pastor one that's out there that stands behind a pulpit that is worthy to stand behind the pulpit because he's sinless. I'm a sinner just like you and in many areas probably worse. But I don't want to ever be comfortable in sin. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. It's the reason that God is jealous for glory. Glory to him. Don't worship someone. Don't worship me. Don't don't go, oh man, if I could only be like Don. No, don't. You don't want to be like Don. You want to be like Jesus. That's who you want to be like. Because I will let you down. I promise you, I'll let you down. It won't take a long time for you to be hanging around with me where I will let you down. I'll do something that to you, or to me, I might not think it's a big deal. To you... It's huge mentor of mine that I had was a a guy that I looked up to, greatest teacher I've ever been around in my life, and I got to hang out with this guy and learn from him and and I used to fly him places just because I wanted to be with this guy. 
I wanted to be around. I wanted to attach my belt buckle to his belt buckle and not leave his side because, man, I was learning so much from this guy. One of his big pet peeves was at the Bible college that I grew up or that I, I went to school at was this is your Bible college. This is, this is God's, this is God's ground. And you see trash on the ground, pick it up. You see a, a drain that's clogged, clean it out, unclog it. Be a servant. And that was the biggest thing right there. Be a servant, be a servant, be a servant. We actually had a, a program in there. We called it M199. It was actual class that we took. That was the, the course uh, number, M199. And that was servanthood, where you had to serve. My very first month, my very first few days that I got there at the Bible college... Now, mind you, when I went to Bible college, I went there and I had I owned my own house before I went. I sold it in order to pay for Bible college. I lived by myself, had my own home. wasn't big, a little one-bedroom, one-bathroom house. Beach Street and Beach and First in Yucaipa, California. Sold it. Went to Bible college. They gave me a top bunk in a room of like 56 guys. I could sit on my side of my bed and I couldn't even stretch my legs out before I hit my my closet. I didn't even have a space on the ground. Bill Turney was under me. He was about to graduate. I had a little wall between me that was that was as you laid down there was a wall of that pretend I'm laying down maybe maybe 12 inches above me. That when I leaned up in bed, I look over and right next to me is another dude who was my best friend. Actually became my best man in my wedding, Dave Vauder. Probably because we got to know each other real well. We slept that far away from each other, which is, I'm saying about 18 inches away from each other, separated by about a four inch wall that only went up like 12 inches. It's crazy. But this is your your job. And so here here's the thing. My servanthood job was maintenance. I'm thinking that's a great place for me, man. I'm a mechanic. I, I worked on airplanes my whole life. I flew airplanes. That was awesome. This is a perfect place for me. What do you want what do you want me to fix? You got a tractor you want me to fix? You got a vehicle you want me to fix? What do you want? What do you got for me? They handed me a big old honking, you know, sixty gallon plastic bag and said, Hey, go around through the through the grounds and pick up cigarette butts. No, you don't understand. I, I'm a mechanic. I can work on vehicles. I can I utilize me to the best of my ability. I've worked on vehicles. I've worked on things my whole life. I I I I, I build things. I, I I've built houses. I've I've built airplanes. I, I I worked on cars. I've replaced it. I can do a lot of things. Use me for that. No 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 no. Here you got this bag. Go pick up trash. You know, my first few weeks, or my first week that was out there, I'm walking around going, I think I was sold a bill of goods. And I was sitting there and I'd pick up, pick up trash and I'd 
put it in there. And all of a sudden, I started getting resentful going, who comes to a Bible college and smokes? Come on! And then I'd see alcohol, alcohol, empty, you know, vodka bottles, you know, on the side of the road, on the side of the back, behind the, the, the parking bumpers. And I'd go, are you kidding me? This is empty! Clink! You know? What kind of people am I around? And man, I had a bad heart for a little while, but man, I'll tell you, that, that bag and the hundreds of thousands of cigarette butts that I picked up and hundreds of bottles of empty liquor that I picked up and beer cans that I picked up. God used that to change my life. I got to a point where I started praying for those people and I began to enjoy going out and picking up that stuff. And, and, and God turned it around, and, and I, I actually began to look forward to three hours of going and doing that around the conference center. But that was what my mentor poured into me. Be a servant, be a servant, be a servant, be a servant, be a servant. That's what we are. God's called us to be a servant. Be a servant. This is his world. Be a servant. Okay. All of that. I went down to his mom's house. Flew down there. And uh, actually, we drove down there. He had something that he was going to do down in San Diego. He was going to teach for a church down there. And I went with him. And we went to his mom's house down in like Carlsbad or Vista, something like that. We got down there, spent the night because we went to a conference, we went to a church and, and he spoke that night and he was going to speak the next morning. And so we were all going. So we spent the night down at his, he and his wife and his, his child and, and me. I just, I, I always wanted to be around this guy. And we went down and spent the night at his mom's house and we got done and we got up. We were going out the next day. And those ad newspapers that they would throw out on people's lawns, you know, you don't ever ask for them, but they throw them out there. They not necessarily anymore. There was an ad newspaper without the plastic on it that about two or three of them had been thrown in his mom's yard. His mom was older. And the next day, we go out there. We're getting in the car to go for him to go and teach. And to minister to people. And he goes out there and he goes, I hate these things. You never ask for these papers and what do they do? They throw them in your yard and the sprinklers come on and it just sits there and melts it down into the grass. And he goes over there and he takes his foot and he goes, Quick! and he pushes it and it kicks it out in the street. Takes the second one and whoosh, throws it out in the street. I, I had a line right there that I, I, I had a decision I had to make. There was a fork in the road right there. Wait a minute, you've taught me not to do things like that. You've taught me, you've taught me to pick up that this is God's land. This is your mom's property. You kicked that out into the middle of the street. What are you, what are you doing? And, and without saying a word, I went out and I picked up the two pieces of, you know, things that the, the rolled up ad newspapers that he kicked out on the road I picked them up and I went over and I threw them in the trash can just got in the car not a word was said but but I, I was at a fork in the road because I'm going wait a minute you speak so eloquently 
You teach so well. And you did that. That day, God taught me, don't follow a man. Don't follow a man. Because a man's going to let you down. Don't follow a person because someone's going to let you down. It's the reason that God is jealous for worship. It's the reason that God is jealous for glory. Because he knows that if you put glory and worship upon an individual on the face of this earth, that person's going to let you down. I will let you down. I don't care. Billy Graham would let you down. You're going to be let down. But if your eyes are fixed on Christ, you're not going to be let down. Why? Because he's not going to sin. And he's not going to lead you that way. The point is, Paul is exhorting these guys, don't sin. Don't fall into it. And don't let teachers come in and say it's okay to sin. Don't, don't, don't continue to, to walk down these roads that these teachers are coming in and saying it's okay for you to have that kind of a lifestyle. Because it's not. It's not okay. Doesn't mean that you might not fall in it, but don't stay in it. You know, hey, don't be a drunkard. Well, Jesus drank wine. Can't I drink wine? Yeah, you getting buzzed? Well, I mean, Jesus drank wine. It was his first miracle that he ever did. I mean, he, he, he made wa- wine out of water. I mean, so it must be okay to drink. Are you getting drunk? The Bible says don't do that. Give strong drink to them who are perishing so that they'll forget what they have in front of them. That's what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 31. You want to give strong drink to somebody? Give it to somebody who's perishing because let them have their fun today because tomorrow... It's going to be a bad day. But as for you, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. Be being filled. Be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because being drunk is not the way to go. And so here's the thing. Do you slip and you get drunk one time? Yeah, I did. Wow, God's rejected me. No, he didn't. He loves you and he wants to forgive you. But he doesn't want you to stay in that. Just because God forgives you for getting drunk one time doesn't mean that you go out and get drunk the next time because you know he's gonna get, you're gonna get forgiven the next time. Paul mentions that. He says, shall we continue to sin that grace would abound? Absolutely not! Don't do that. That's not how we live our life. Get away from sin. Get away from sin. The thing is, is that it's crept into the church. And this is what, in chapter 1, what Paul is dealing with. He's going, I'm encouraging you, but I'm also, I'm encouraging you because you guys are withstanding the tribulations. You guys are, are withstanding some persecution. But I also know you're getting tricked. You're getting tricked by people. He says... These people that are tricking you, these people that are deceiving you, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day. 
to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. He wants, Paul's saying, I want to give you rest. I want to give you comfort. I want to give you encouragement that the persecutions and tribulations that you're enduring right now, even from the church, even from people that are speaking in churches and saying, oh, that's one of those churches. They don't, they don't allow any. It's a we for and no more mentality. Well, that's not what I ever want to propagate in this church, a we for and no more mentality. This isn't a church of non-sinners. This is a church, I pray, acknowledges that we're all sinners, but we just don't want to stay in sin, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. If the Bible calls something that I'm doing in my life sin, it's not okay with God. And I must change. And I must allow Him to change me. And I must not change, I must not bend my will or bend my understanding in order to accept more of the culture into my life. Because that's what, that's going to be better, I'll be better to be able to reach people. That's a big issue that many Christians will use in churches today that embrace a lot of the sin that has crept into the church and has rooted itself in the church and has been accepted in the church. And leadership is actually embroiled and emblazoned in this, in their sins and they, they're proud of it. They live in it. They continue to live in it. They don't want to call it sin because the culture accepts it. So we accept it and God is okay with it because he's a God of love. Wait a minute. What I see is that God, it says here that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. That doesn't sound loving. Does that sound lovely? Does that sound neat? Does that sound nice? No. Let's not fashion Jesus into our image. Let's take what the Word of God says that Jesus is. Let's take what the Word of God says that God is. Let's take what the Word of God says is sin, and let's mold ourselves around it. Not make the Word of God mold itself around us in order to pacify us and allow us to stay in things that are a whole lot easier to stay in because it satisfies the flesh. Because it satisfies something there. All the while you know there's something wrong with this picture. There's something wrong with this picture. Because I can't be happy when I read some of these passages. I can't be happy when I read a passage like this Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh are evident, Paul says. Adultery and fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery is, is the, the, the drug taking. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, envy and, 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 and murders and drunkenness and revelries and the like of which I told you beforehand, Paul says, that just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you doing these? Is this your life? Is this what you do? Paul says you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's not very 
nice to say, Pastor Don, because you don't know my heart. Well, I, I know your understanding of Scripture is not to take it at full value, is what I can say. And here's what I can say. You have no assurance of salvation. Oh, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. But yes, I can check off about seven of those things that I still do and practice in my everyday life. And you know what? He's okay with my life that way because God's a God of love. I say, Paul says, those those who practice such things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Tell me, convince me otherwise that you're going to heaven. Convince me otherwise that you're not going to go to heaven because right here, this says you're not going. Well, that's not very nice, Pastor Don, to say things like that because you can take someone's assurance of salvation away. Good. Don't ever become comfortable with sin. Sin will ruin you. Run. Flee sin. Flee from sin. Don't let sin creep in. This is two weeks I've been talking about this because I am very passionate about this. Have I overcome sin? No. Am I satisfied in sin? No. Are you, have you overcome sin? No. Are you satisfied in your sin? In something that the Bible calls sin, are you satisfied in it? If so, your life is in contradiction to the word of God. I would be nervous if I were you. I'd be nervous. There's no way you can have assurance of salvation if your life is mentioned here that that is what you do. That is what you practice. And it's easy. Get out. Well, it's just so hard. I'm an alcoholic. Get out. God will give you the strength to get out. Oh, it's not that easy, Pastor. I understand. Oh, man, do I understand. I know that I've struggled with sin, but I know one thing is that my God tells me, the Word of God tells me that no temptation has overtaken me, such as is common to anyone. But God is able to make a way of escape for me. I can get out of it. But I have got a purpose in my heart that I don't want to follow a life of sin. And when I start to creep towards a life of sin, God always, he always does, doesn't he? You know you, I know me, I know when sin starts to creep up. I know when I'm about to enter into a time of sin that the Lord always, always, always gives me a way of escape. It's me and my flesh that denies it and shuts my ear to it and goes ahead and does it anyways. Only to come back and go, ah! Why? Why, Lord, why, why, why did I do that? I am so frustrated in myself. I'm a pastor of a church, for goodness sakes. God, come on. How come I... God's not going to overpower my will. You want to sin, go for it. But God's not okay with it. God's not okay with sin. And I say that in love. I really do. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I, I, I know that this sin that we deal with on day-by-day basis, for you, 
there's certain sins in your life that are far more aggressive in your life than they are in mine. Some that you really struggle with that I probably don't struggle with, but there's probably some sins in my life that I struggle with that you go, why don't you just get over it? We all have different temptations. We all have different sin. The point is, don't be comfortable ever in sin. But sincerely seek God to change you and to walk in His ways. And you will fall and you will blow it. But I can assure you, He will always be there to pick you up. He will always be there to love you, to forgive you, to set you straight, and to restore you and to renew you to give you a future and to give you a hope. Oh, but I've gone so far. He went farther. <laughs> you can Your sin can never go so far, but that the Lord's hand will not go further still. There's coming a day, Paul says, that there is going to be a separation of people. There are going to be those that are with the Lord and there are going to be those that are not with the Lord. God lays out in His Word those who will be His and those who will not be His. Know the difference. Know the difference. There are those that will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's the second death, by the way. What do you mean by second death? Well, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to judgment, right? And so for the non-believer, you're going to live once and die twice. You mean by die twice? Well, you're going to die on the earth. Statistically, 10 out of 10 people die, right? Nobody has lived forever. You're going to die, physical death. But then there's a spiritual death. And the spiritual death is separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's the second death. But you live once here on the earth. So make it good. For the non-believer, make it good. For the believer, for the child of the Lord, doesn't mean you're not going to sin, doesn't mean you're not going to blow it, but you're going you're to die once and live twice. And what do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to live here on this earth, I'm going to live my life, then I'm going to die. Because again, I fall into that 10 out of 10 statistic. I'm going to die physically but I'm never going to be separated from the Lord. I will live a second time, and that second time, there will be no more darkness. There will be no more loss. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sin. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more hurt or heartache. In heaven you will be with the Lord in the presence of the Lord and in the glory of His power.
That's where you're going to be. There's two roads. There's not one person out that has ever existed on this earth that has found a third road. There's not a third road. There's two roads. And you're on one of them. And if your life isn't measured up to what the Word of God says, if you find yourself comfortable living in sin, if you find yourself justified living in sin, if you find yourself at a place where you think that God is okay with sin in your life, I will say, I'm fearful for you, my friend, that you even have a relationship with God, that you've ever had a relationship with God. But God accepts me. Not to put a human mindset on that, but I'm married to my wife. Would she forgive me if I cheated? I would hurt probably really, really bad. You know my wife. Would she forgive me? I know my wife. I I think she would. This is a horrible, a a horrible illustration. Because perish the thought that that would ever happen. But here's the thing. Just because I pretty much know my wife would forgive me, it would hurt her. She would forgive me. Why in the world would I ever want to do that to my wife? Why would I ever want to do that? I have a relationship with her. I love her. Do we, is, is everything always peaches and cream? Absolutely not. But just because I know she'll forgive me doesn't mean that I should go ahead and do it anyways because she'll, she'll give me the thumbs up. All right. Hey, I love you. And if, if that's my relationship with my wife and that's an earthly relationship, how much more the Lord? if I'm really a Christian, if I'm really walking with the Lord, how is it that I can justify sinning right before God and saying, hey God, you're going to forgive me anyways? Do you don't think it hurts? Do you think that he, he, he died on a cross and just said, man, I knew you were going to go to hell and so I died on a cross so that you can just continue in your sin? Because I, I made a way of escape for you so you're going to enter, enter into heaven so you can live just like that person that's going to go to hell, but because you accepted me, you can still live the way he lives, but you can go to hell and he can't. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. Does it mean that God will forgive you? Yeah. If you sin, absolutely. Absolutely. But just don't stay in sin. What the Word of God calls sin, stay away from it. Just a a, a few verses and then I'm done. And they should be pretty self-explanatory even in, in, in that. The thing is, I think the church is, is, has allowed so much sin to enter into the church and embrace sin that it's lost a lot of its power. But but it's not something that is a surprise to the Lord. Luke chapter 18 says this. You can jot this note down, look it up. Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Actually, take it back into verse 7. 
We've just talked about God avenging those he loves. This is Jesus talking. Shall God not, verse verse 7 of chapter 18 of Luke, Jesus speaking, he says, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, this is what Jesus says about the days that you're living in right now, and the days that I'm living in right now. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he really find faith? If Jesus is saying, when I come back, am I really going to find faith on the earth? It tells me that he knows everything and he knows that we're going to be tempted to walk away from the truth of his word. And we're going to toy around with sin because it's gratifying. And we aren't going to have faith at all. We're going to have some very doctored up mind pleasing, mind-appealing to the flesh doctrine that satisfies us but are, is in direct contradiction to what God says and what God's Word says. Jesus says, when I come back, when the Son of Man comes back, and that word come is a word called erkomai in the Greek. Erkomai literally means when I come back, when I return, Jesus uses that term in John chapter 14. He says this. He says in verse uh, 18 of John chapter 14, same word, Urkamai, I will not leave you orphans, but I will come to you. He was talking about when he goes away. I will come to you. That word come to you is Urkamai. And if you still have a little problem, go, well, that, that, that could mean something different. No, verse 28, he really emphasizes it right here. He says, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. That word coming back to you. I'm going away into heaven, but I'm coming back to you. That word coming back to you is Urkamai. If you love me, you rejoice because I said I'm going to my father. That's, that's John chapter 14, using that word. When I come back, Jesus says, will I really find faith on the earth? Will Jesus find faith in your life? Will Jesus find faith on the earth? That's a challenge to me. That's a challenge to you. Matthew chapter 24 says this, Jesus talking. Many false prophets are going to rise up in the last days. You know what false prophets are? Men that stand behind this thing called the pulpit. Jesus says a lot of guys are going to stand behind pulpits and they're going to teach you things that are false. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because the lawlessness... These are Jesus' words. These aren't my words. I'm just reading his words. Jesus says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Or if you have a King James Version, I love that version. The love of many will wax cold. It'll just get cold. It won't be genuine. It won't be true. Oh, these false prophets will say, no, this is how you love. And so there is a form of love, but it's not God's love. It's not the love coming from the Lord. But then he goes on in verse 13, he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Are you one of the endurers? 
I read wrote to, read, read to you last week, Second Timothy chapter four. Look at I'm just gonna. Here's just a couple more verses here. Paul talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy. His first letter to Timothy in First Timothy chapter four. You can look it up later, at verse one. The Spirit expressly says, Timothy, that in the latter times, these days that you and I are living in, some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to the deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that come from right behind this pulpit. Right behind pulpits. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Timothy. Chapter 4, or chapter 3 of Second Timothy. Timothy, know this. His last letter that Paul ever penned. Timothy, know this, that in the last days, the days that you're living in, the days that I'm living in, the days that we right now are living in, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughties, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, for goodness sakes, we've got to have our pleasure. And I, that is convicting to me because I love pleasure. I love to watch things that I should not have watched. Things that aren't the right things to watch. Oh, I'm not saying I'm watching our, you know, X-rated type movies. I'm not saying that, but there's a lot of movies that I'll watch that, that I confess and say, God, that was horrible. That was stupid. A lot of these R-rated movies that are out there, the vast majority of the R-rated movies out there are really gross, stands for really gross. The PG movies are out there. They're pretty gross. They're going to have leisures of lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says, Timothy, Don, saints at Calvary Chapel, on January 19th, 2020, from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and they make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away away by various lusts. They're always learning, these guys, these false prophets, these deceivers. They're always learning. But they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They read, they read, they read. And all that they do is they read from one fallen individual to another fallen individual to another fallen individual and another fallen individuals and they all support each other. And then they get up and they say, hey, this guy says and that guy and they go begin to quote people and books instead of quoting the word of God. How do we handle this, guys? I, I, I got to be done. No, let, I got one more. Jude. I could go on and talk about James. I can go on and talk about Peter. Jude is, is uh, I don't know if you know this. I know some of you guys do. Jude is actually the brother of Jesus. The book of Jude. It's only one chapter. So if someone ever says Jude 3, it's not Jude chapter 3. It's like Jude verse 3 because there's only one chapter. Jude 3. 
Jude, who was the brother of Jesus. James, who wrote the book of James, was the brother of Jesus. Here, you want to know, here's a couple of brothers, blood brothers of Jesus. They're half-brothers, obviously. But brothers of Jesus. Jude says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For, before I go on, he's saying, listen, you've heard the truth. You know the truth in the word, and the word has been given to you. But know this, certain men have crept in unnoticed. They've come into the church, gang. They're all over the church. They're running rampant in the church. Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness, and they deny the only Lord, God, our Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though, that... I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. And the angels who didn't keep their proper domain but left their own habitation, he's reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example we're not being taught that in church today. They, they, they are set forth as an example. Judah saying, these guys are an example. Don't follow this. Don't follow this train of thought. They suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. That's what Paul, that's, that's, that's just what Judah says, or Jude says. Not Judas Iscariot. Jude, the brother of Jesus. They've gone after strange flesh, set forth as an example. They're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's not a happy ending. That's, there's no way that I can have confidence living in a life that is contrary to God and say, yeah, but because culturally we accept it, God accepts it today. Stop it. Don't let even a pastor come in and say that it's okay. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about every form of sin that can get into our lives. Guys, don't ever become comfortable in sin. I know these last couple of weeks have been heavy. We're living in heavy times, guys. We are living in heavy times. And I don't know how long. I mean, here we're going to have a meeting at church right now. I don't know how long this church is going to go on. I know I'm going to preach. As long as people are here. That's what I'm going to do. But people might leave. That's okay. If we end the church, the one thing I don't ever want to have ever happen is that you weren't warned. That you weren't taught what the Word of God is is being shown. What does the Word say? Don't just come here for the Word. Get in it yourself. Know it yourself. Sundays isn't enough. It's an everyday life. Jesus didn't say, come to me only on Sundays and I'll give you rest. It's an everyday life that we live. Guys, the only way you know, the only way I know, the only way we can truly know what the word of or what God wants is as if our noses are in this book. 
This book isn't going to lead you astray. And when some jabroni, and I hope that's not a cuss word or a bad word. I don't really even know the definition of that. So if it is, I apologize. That's one of my sins. Sorry. Lord, forgive me. But if it's a if it's a good word and really mentions what I'm trying to say, if some silly guy gets up behind a pulpit and says, it's okay to do, and he fill, fill in a blank that the Bible says is not okay, run away from that guy. Get away from that guy. I never want to be that guy. If I'm going to be judged before God, I want to be judged that I... Listen, God, if you if you wanted it different, you needed to say it different. This is what your word said. And that's, that's what I just wanted to teach. And that's what I wanted to keep pointing people to. That's what I want to point you to. This might be your last Sunday with us, with me. It's okay. Don't, don't, you can leave this church, but don't leave this word. Don't leave the word. You let the word be the standard on which you live your life. Don't let it be me. Don't let it be this church. Let it be the word. Amen. Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. God, I pray. I know that it's heavy. And I know that these things, these times that we're living in, they're so tough. And it's so hard for us to live. I know. I see the young kids in this room. And they're being pulled and and dragged and and, and, and drawn in so many different directions. I, I see even us as adults doing the same thing. We're being drawn and, and, and pulled in so many different directions. And sometimes even from the church. God, give us a discerning mind. Give us a discerning spirit. Give us an understanding heart of what your word wants us to do. Help us to be sensitive to what your Holy Spirit wants us to do individually. Not everybody else around us, but us individually. God, may we have your word be personal to us. That we look at your word and say, Lord, if your word says it's wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong. I will, I will, I will walk away, even though it's hard. Even though I, even though I might lose friends, lifelong friends, even though my family might shun me, even though things will become difficult in my life if I do these things, if I walk away from these things, if I turn my back on these things. And I know that even maybe God there are those that call themselves Christians that do things and expect you to to walk in their sin and they've justified it in in scripture Lord, even them you might have us walk away God, may we be most interested in what it is that you think and not what anybody else thinks may we live our life for the audience of one and that's you because when it all comes down to it When all is said and done, it's you and you only that we will stand before. It's you and you only who hung on that cross for me. It's you and you only that paved a way for me to enter into eternal life. And so God, I give you my life again. God, if today is is a day that I've been convicted on some areas and, and Pastor Don read some uncomfortable areas of Scripture, and Lord, I saw myself there. God, I forgive. I, I, I ask God that you forgive me, and I, I confess that I, that's me. I'm ashamed that, that that my name's there. I'm ashamed that 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 I'm a part of that group, or I'm a part of that 
that sin. I'm, 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 I'm ashamed, God, that that can be named among me as something that I do on a, on a practicing basis. And I, I, I've, I've done it with it, what I thought was a clear conscience. But right now my conscience has been pricked. My conscience has shown me that my life at this point right now, and there's areas in my life that are not right. God, I pray for that individual or those individuals out there right now, God, that you would show them your vast, vast love, your forgiveness, your renewal. God, how much you adore them. That God, you love them so much that you don't want them to continue in a, in a life that is going to draw them further away from you, but one that will draw them closer to you. One that promises freedom. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we are serious in our walk with you this day. And that we recognize that we are really lights in a very dark world right now. And how this world needs to see a real light. They need to see you. God, make our lives, help us to have our lives mimic you. Follow in your direction so that we can truly be lights that lead those in the dark into your great and awesome light. That they would enter into a relationship with you as, as I have. Thank you, God, for all of my sin that has been washed away. Thank you, God, for renewal. Thank you, God, for refreshment. God, thank you that you love me so much that you don't want me to continue in that. And you'll make a way of escape for me. God, I don't know how you're going to do that, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to do it because, Lord, sin is strong. But, Lord, right now, I'm going to hold on to the fact that you're even stronger still. I love you, God. I love you, Lord. I love you for what you have done for me and in me and what you will continue to do in me and in us. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.